Jewish audio on Chabad.org. The help of Hashem, we are learning about the Kamadav Kuv Dalit. We left off on Kuv Dalit, Amid Aleph, eight lines from the top of the Amid. The Gemara is referring back to the Mishnah, a person who is withholding someone else's money, takes an oath denying that they have it or that they owe it. Then the person admits that they swore falsely. So the Torah says that the Gazlan has to pay both the Keren and a Chaimish and the Karbanashim. Then we learned in the Mishnah that as far as the Keren is concerned, the Gazlan, the robber, the person who swore falsely has to go after the victim, even if the victim is in Madai, to return the Keren, and until he receives the Keren, it is not considered returned. And on this the Mishnah said, that Loyitain, that the Ganav, that the Gazlan, that the one who took a false oath, should not give it cannot even give it to the son of the victim, or to the Shliach of the victim, it's not considered returned again until it goes into his hands. So Itmar says the Gemara, it was stated, Shliach when a person appoints a Shliach in the presence of two witnesses. For example, as Rashi speaks out, if Reuven, who is a creditor, and Shimon is a debtor, and Reuven sends Adem to collect his debt from Shimon, and he appoints a shliach in the presence of two witnesses. Now, as the way Rashi explains, if Reuven tells Shimon, you could return the money, giving it to my shliach, then there is no doubt, here is where we apply shluchai shal adam kamaisai, the hand of the shliach is the hand of Reuven. The, mon- the moment Shimon, the debtor, puts the money in the hands of the shliach, it's considered that he gave it to the hands of Reuven. However, our question is in a scenario where Reuven did not tell Shimon, you can give it to my shliach. However, when he appointed a shliach, he appointed a shliach in the presence of witnesses. So here we have a machlekes amiroim. Rabchizda says, havei shliach. Okay, that's considered a shliach. Shliach le And Rabbi Omar, Rabbi says, loy have a shliach, it is not considered that the person who he appointed is his shliach. So what is it and why did he appoint him in front of witnesses? As we'll see in a moment, there's a concept of a carrier, courier. There's a concept of sometimes Reuven feeling that Shimon maybe is not paying me because he simply doesn't have how to get the money to me. So I'm going to help him find someone that can bring the money to me. But that person is not my shliach, meaning that when he puts it into his hand, it is not yet considered returned. The reason why in our scenario Reuven appointed the shliach in front of witnesses, why did he need witnesses? In other words, the leiku say because this is a proper minoy hashlichos, he wanted for the yad of the shliach to be as his hand. However, Rabba Omar loy have a shliach. The reason why Reuven appointed the shliach and not in front of witnesses is because he's trying to tell his balchayv, he's trying to tell Shimon who owes him money, that inish mehem nohu. I want you to know that this person is trustworthy. And isomachto, you may rely on him. I'm not going to be upset at you if you give the money to him. However, 
and if you want to send it in his hands, it should not be Yadi, send it in his hands. But he's not my shliach. And therefore, if something happens, even an oinus happens, before the money returns to the hands of Reuven, it's Shimon's responsibility to pay Reuven until Reuven gets the money. So we have a machlekes again, when you appoint a shliach in front of witnesses, but the... In our example, Reuven did not tell Shimon, you could give it to my shliach. If he tells that to Shimon, then Avada, that's called the shliach like Kabbalah. And then, if Shimon gives money to the shliach and an oinus happens and it never makes it to the hands of Reuven, Shimon doesn't owe him anything. He already returned it. But if he didn't tell him that Bifanov, that's where we have a machlekes, Rab Chizda and Rabo. All right, says the Gemara Tanan, we're quoting a Mishnah Bava Metziah, and this is going to be a question against the opinion of Rav Chizda. If a person is borrowing a cow, the Shilcha, and the Mashel, the lender, sends the cow, Biyad Benoi, in the hands of the lender's son, the Mashel's son, Biyad Avdoi, or in the hands of his servant, or Biyad Shluchai, or in the hands of a Shliach, or if the mashal of the lender is sending the cow in the hands of the son of the shoyal, of the borrower, or in the hands of the ebed of the borrower, or in the hands of the shluchai of the borrower, and before the cow reaches the actual possession of the borrower, umesa, the cow dies. And let's remember that when it comes to the responsibility of a shoyal, even if it's an oinus, he's chayif to compensate the lender, here Taka died Ba'inas, but it died before it actually came into the possession of the Shoyal. Question is, is the Shoyal Chayev or not? So says the Mishnah that is Potter. In other words, since it did not come into his possession, so he's not yet responsible. End of the Mishnah. So says the Gemara, Hai Shluchai, in the latter case of the Mishnah, that the lender send it in the hands of the Shliach of the borrower. And we're saying that it's not yet considered in the possession of the borrower. If he appointed the shliach without Edim, then In other words, why would the lender be allowed to send the cow in the hands of someone that we don't know is the shliach of the borrower? Elot must be. No, the asa that he appointed. Since the borrower appointed a shliach so we know he's a shliach. And nevertheless, it says in the Mishnah, Pater. Which proves that until the shoyal hears directly from the mashal, they communicate to each other. The shoyal tells the mashal, this is my shliach. If he doesn't tell it to him, even though he appointed a shliach be'edim, it's not considered his shliach. So this is a question against Rabchizda. So answers the Gemara, just like Rabchizda explained elsewhere, as we'll learn later in this Amid, really he was not appointed with Edom. Which is why the Mishnah holds, it's not a shliach. Why did the lender give it to that person? Because the lender knows that this person is connected to the borrower. Either he's his hired hand, he's his worker, or he is his lekitai. So Rashi here says lekitai means someone who the borrower gathered into his house. He's his companion. So you can't ask on the lender, why did you give it to him? Come on, I know that this person is the shoyal's, you know, 
here also, However, had he appointed the shliach in front of witnesses, Rabbi Chizda stands his ground, then the shliach indeed will be a full-fledged shliach, shluch shlogam kamoisai. Then if the mashal gives the cow biyad of the shliach, and the oinus happens, then the shliach is going to be chayiv. Only because he is not a shliach. And which means he was not appointed the edim. The worker is just to respond. So how did the lender know that he can give it to him? What did the lender think? No, the lender knew that this person is connected. He's his worker, he's his companion, Vukhuli. And again, we're going to challenge Rab Chizdan now from our Mishnah. It says in our Mishnah, again, that person who swore, denied a monetary obligation with an oath, and then admitted, has to return the keren, as we learned in the Mishnah, biyad of the nigzal on the hand of his victim. And the Mishnah says clearly, that the Gazlan should not give the Keren not to the son of the victim nor to the Shliach of the victim, says the Gemara again. Exactly how did the Shliach become a Shliach? Same question. If the victim, Bechlal, never appointed him in front of Edim, then why would the Gazlan be allowed to give it to the stranger? It must be the Asoy Be'edim. Nevertheless, what does the Mishnah say? that giving it to his hand is not considered returned. So again, that's a proof, like Rabbah against Rabchizda. So here is where Tirgim Rabchizda, that he did not appoint him Be'edim. How did the Gazlan know that you can give it to him? Because this person is Chiro Yelikitai. But had he appointed him Be'edim, then he would be allowed to give it to him. Asks the Gemara, is that the case? Are you telling me, Rabchizda, Avo Shliach Shasob Eidim, my Hachinami Dahavi Shliach, and the Gazlon fulfills his obligation, right, to give back the Keren to the hand, La Asher Huloi, to give it to the hand of the Shliach? So here the question is, Adatani Seifa, why did the Seifa of our Mishnah Dafkuv Gimel write, Avo Nason Hulu Shliach Beisdin, as we learned that Takonas Hashavim, you know, if the person, if the victim lives in Madai, you gotta go to Madai. Now sometimes you only, the Karen is only a pruta. The trip ticket, the ticket to go to Madai can cost a thousandfold. And even if it costs, you know, substantial amount of money, people won't return it. So they allowed you to give it to the hands of Beisdin, Frek, the Gemara Gewaldik, according to your Rabchizdom, Lif like the Mishnah always finds it preferable when the Mishnah wants to make a contrast that this case, the din is like that. But in another case, the din is otherwise, the closer the case is, the better the contrast. Why didn't we use a contrast by saying, and let us add the words of the Bach, that b'med varam amurim b'shliach shelo yasua be'edim. Avo shliach shelo be'edim, then he should be a shliach. Why didn't the Mishnah say that? Answers the Gemara Amrei, Rab Chizda is correct. The Mishnah could have said it. But the Mishnah didn't say it because like because it's not an absolute statement. Meaning, as the Gemara will explain, Shliach Beisdin, when it comes to the Shliach of Beisdin, that the Mishnah telling us that Takanas Hashavim allows the Gazlan to give it to the Shliach Beisdin, there it's a din that's called Psika. A Psak means it's absolute. It doesn't depend on anything. There's no caveats, there's no uh, limitations. Loishno Asoi Nigzal, Loishno Asoi Gazlan. The rule that I can give it, that the Gazlan can give it to the Shliach Beisdin, is independent as to who 
appointed that shliach beizdin, whether the gazlan appointed, whether the nigzlal appointed, if he represents the beizdin, you can return it to him and it's considered return. Have a shliach. So therefore, since it's an absolute case, you can always give it back to shliach beizdin, psikalei, it's absolute, so the Mishnah recorded it. However, when it comes to the shliach shasua be'edim, Rabchizda says, one second, if the victim was the one that appointed a shliach b'fnei edim, taka, you can give it to him. But one thing is for sure, even according to Rab Chizda, that's only if the victim appointed the shliach in front of Edim. You know, by Gitan we learned that, you know, shliach like Kabbalah, Gitan Kedush. But if the thief, if the Gazlin is the one that appointed the shliach, even in front of Edim, then for sure it's not considered return. All that shliach is, is an extension of the robber. The chiyasoi nigzal, only then, according to Rab Chizda, even if he did not tell him the pun and give it to him, as long as he did it in front of Edim. Who the Havashliach? Avol, but Asoy Gazlin is Lay Havashliach. So therefore, Lay Psikalei. And the Mishnah only wanted to write something that's absolute, that's Psikalei, but Einachanami, again, Abchizda holds, if you appoint a Shliach Bifnei Edim, even though you didn't tell the principal, didn't tell the other principal, you can give it to him, it's, he's considered a full fledged Shliach. That's the whole Kiddush. And this says the Gemara, that which you just mentioned, that when it comes to giving it to the Shliach Beisdin, it doesn't matter who appointed the Shliach Beisdin, according to our Mishnah Psikalei, there is another Tana that disagrees with that. Ula Fukei Tana. That what? The Tanya. That Rab Shem ben Elazar says that Shliach Beisdin, even when it comes to Takanas Hashavim, and therefore, you, the, the, God, the robber can give it to a shliach beizdin if nigzal, if he was appointed by the request of the nigzal of the victim, even if loy asoi gazlan, the robber didn't appoint him, but he gave it to him. That's good. Oy asoi gazlan, or if the robber was the one that appointed the shliach beizdin as a shliach v'shalach halo v'natal eshaloi miyadoi. And the victim actually picked up the money, then and only then is he potter. Which implies the Braisa that if the Gazlan was the one that appointed the Shliach Beisdin and the victim didn't yet pick it up, then it's not considered returned. In other words, it's also Leipzika, according to the Tana Rabshim ben Elazar. Our Mishnah does not agree with Rabshim ben Elazar. So our Mishnah wasn't Liflik Vilitne Bididei because Psika Leipzika, but Rabchizda stands his grounds. More on this machlekes, Rabbi Yechanan and Rabbi Lazar, they both paskan like Rabbi Chizda. that shliach sha'asoi be'edim. If one shliach wasn't pointed in front of witnesses, even though, like in the beginning case, Reuven and Shimon, Shimon owes money to Reuven. If Reuven tells Shimon, "Hey Shimon, I am appointing a shliach," you can give it to him, according to Rashi. That's for sure. That's the case of a real shliach. Even Rabbi agrees with it. Here, Reuven never told Shimon anything. He appointed the shliach in front of Edim. Here, Rabbi Yechanan, Rabbi Lozad, like Rabbi Chizda, hold, have a shliach. I, the imtrem Mishnah say, no? The obvious question. Right, the Mishnah says that in the case of this robber that has to give it, the Mishnah says, don't give it the atshluchai. So here, they give another solution to explain the case of the Mishnah, aside of the one that we learned before. That it could be Here we're speaking about a case where the victim 
only is making a shliach available. He never appointed a shliach. What does that mean? The Amar lay, the victim, tells the shliach, here's a chayim, Isli Zuzi Gabaplonya. That guy owes me money. Because that guy swore and then he admitted. And Veloy Komash Derluhu. And he's not sending me the money. So the victim is giving him the benefit of the doubt. He's saying, Mistama, he's not sending me the money. He doesn't have with whom. It's Chazile, appear in front of him. Maybe the only reason why he's not sending me the money is because he doesn't have with whom. And if you go in front of him, then I'll have in front of with whom. It's called a courier. But not as my shliach. That is where the Mishnah says that it's not considered return. But had he appointed him in front of Edim, then he would be considered a shliach. Or Inami, that our Mishnah is like Rabchizda explained, that our Mishnah is that he did not even appoint a shliach in front of Edim. Ah, you asked the question, how will the robber even know that he can send it in his hands? Because everyone knows that this person is connected to the Nigzal. But again, if he would have been appointed with Edim, then he's considered a full-fledged shliach. Now, Omar Rabbi Huda whether Shmuel will agree with Rab Chizd or not is really something that the Rishonim speak about. And, and it's irrelevant. We're giving, we're giving a similar but different scenario. Turning to the Fkuvdal Domed Beis. Get more on the Dinam Shlichus. Ein Mishal Chen Mo'ois Bidi Yoy Kone. Which means like this. Let's say whether it is a depositor that has something in the hands of his custodian, in the hands of a Shomer. Whether it is someone, a creditor, to whom money is owed, and there is a balchayv that has that money, he tells, he gives a shliach, the creditor, some personal symbol of his. He gives him his ring, his seal ring, he gives him something personal, ki'ilu proof, that that shliach is connected to the creditor, that he's connected to the bal hapikadim. And that person comes over to the shoimer, and he tells the shoimer, here's a chayim, whatever it is that you need to return, you can give it to me. And to prove that I'm connected to him, he shows him this personal item. Now here, we're not even speaking about a case where, the, let's say, the, the owner of the item appointed him in front of Adam. We do have Adam that testify that he gave him this personal item. But not that he appointed him as a shliach. But how do you know? How will the Shimon, if Shimon owes money to the oven, how will he know that this Diyoikane, Taki belongs to the oven? So for that he had Edim. Vafilu Edim chasumim aleha. There are witnesses that are testifying that this personal symbol is authentic. Taka belongs to the oven. Does that mean that this person is allowed to act as a shliach? So says Shmuel, Ein Mishalchin, Ein Mishalchin Mois, Bidiyoikane. And again, Afilu Eidim Chasumim Aleha. Ein Mishalchin doesn't mean you're not allowed to send. If he send the money and an oin has happened, that's the key. And the money never returned to its rightful owner. So then, in this case, the Balchayv or the Shremer will be Chayv. Why? Because they never gave it back. It's not considered returned yet. Just someone holding onto the Dioikani from its owner does not make him into a shliach. Now, Lechoda, this is even less than appointing a shliach with Edom. Now, Rabbi Yechanan is even more lenient. It's not only does he, Lechoda, hold with Rabbi Chizda, 
even by a diyakani that im edem chasum aleha. If this person, this courier, has witnesses that testify or that sign the document that this diyakani belongs to Reuven, belongs to the depositor, this is enough to make the courier into a full-fledged shliach. And if you return the debt to him, or if you return the article to him, it's considered returned, and now if an oinus happens, you're off the hook. So so they asked in the yeshiva that according to Shmuel, my takanta, how can a person send money in the hands of a shliach if that person is not considered a halachic shliach like Kabbalah? Now, all of the Rishonim point out, Maitakanto, Kaidim call, if we're going to say that Shmuel holds like Rab Chizda, Maitakanto, let Reuven appoint the Shlich in front of Aden. And let's go, even if you're going to say that Shmuel doesn't agree with Rab Chizda, we started today's sugya by quoting Rashi and other Rishonim that clearly say that if not only a Shlich is appointed, but in the case of Reuven and Shimon, Reuven lent money to Shimon, Shimon has to return it to Reuven. If Reuven tells Shimon, Shimon, I'm sending my shliach, give it to him, that giving it to that shliach is considered return. That's the din of Shlucha Shalom Kamaisai. So really there is a takana in the case where he was told so by the, in this case by the creditor, or by the owner of the article, by the depositor. But the question here is, if these things did not happen, what would be another way that the person who owes money can know that if I give the money to this person, I'm off the hook? What would be the option? So the Gemara says an amazing story. Now, we're going to speak at the end of this piece of the Gemara, the Rajba, who is going to amend the version, amend the Girsa. You know, Masik Zuzi means money was owed. We're going to speak out later that there's another version that it wasn't the case of a loan, it was a case of a deposit. Which is a huge difference, because when I deposit something, you're, you're the shimer, that is still mine. You're just watching it for me. If I lend you money, we learned no it's on it. No, but let's begin with the version of the Gemara. Rab Abba lent money to Rabbi Yosef Bar Chama. They did not live in the same cities. Rabbi Yosef Bar Chama was the father of the famous Rav. Rav Nabaya, his father was Yosef Bar Chama. Good. Now, Rabbi Yosef Bar Chama was not returning the money. Pasha, they, did, they lived in different cities. So Rab Abba wanted to collect. So Omar Lay, Rab Abba told to his friend Rab Safra, who was traveling to the city of Rabbi Yosef in any event, that Bahadi, the Asis, when you're going to come back, is I see Nuni Ali, go bring me back the money that is owed. That is what he told him. He didn't appoint him into a shliach in front of Adem. He didn't give him a Deyoikani. He asked him a favor, do me a favor, bring back the debt. Okay. So So Rab Safra comes to that city and he goes over to Rabbi Yosef Bar Chama. Rabbi Yosef Bar Chama, you owe money to Rav Abba. I'm going back to his city. Why didn't you pay back the debt? So Rabbi Yosef Bar Chama's son Rava mixed in. Omalei Rava, Berei, Rava his son tells Rab Safra the Shliach, me, Kasavlach, he's Kabalti. Do you have a receipt? A receipt would mean that the lender, which is Rab Abba, he should write, I received the money in return. Did you bring such a receipt? So Amalei Light, he didn't give me a receipt. So, so Rava tells him, Ay, bazoi, hi, achi, we're not going to give you back the money. 
You're not a shliach. If we give you the money and an oinus, they trusted the Rabsafra, but an oinus happens and the money is lost, we'll have to give it again. We're not going to do that. Zilberesha, you go back, and next time you come here, let Rabba write for you a receipt, and then when you come back, give us the receipt, and we'll give you back the debt. Now, that wasn't the end of the story. Before Rabsafra, the middle person, had a chance to leave, Rabba thought about what he said, and Rabba said, you know what? Even that is not good. Even coming back a receipt won't help. Why wouldn't that be enough? Think about it, Chavi. So Rashi just adds a little detail, which is also important halachically, that the story happened when Abba was old. Now there's a halacha that you have to be afraid that someone will pass away in the near future. Well, if a person is not old, no. But here he was old. So he tells them like this. Think about it. Yudab Safra, if you're going to get a receipt, everyone knows the receipt was not written when you got the money. The receipt was written way before. The receipt is, is written, was, was, would be written when Absafra is leaving that city. What were to happen if Rab Abba, the creditor, the person who, to whom the money is owned, owed, would pass away before Rab Safra the Shlech would actually get the money? The moment Rab Abba would pass away, to whom will be the money owed to? So Rababa doesn't have the right to give a receipt. The money is not even owed to him. And if that would be the case, Rav is saying, if my father would give you the money, it's not called return. Now, of course, everyone trusted Rab Safra. If Rab Safra would go back and say that Abba passed away and give it to the Yarshim, Shalom al the fear is always what happens if an oinus would happen and Rab Safra would lose the money. So he tells them, Dilma, Ada Asis, by the time you come back, when you come here with the receipt, after he wrote the receipt, it's possible that Abba will pass away. And this is a halachic concern when someone is old. You're allowed to say, maybe the person will pass on. And the So really, the money is owed to the heirs. And the iskabalti that Abba will And therefore, the receipt is nothing. So Amalei, so Safra was curious. Okay, you're dealing with a learned person. So he asked the son, the Elamite Akanto, so you tell me, what would be an acceptable way? for me to collect the money. So he tells him, oh, this will be the solution. When you go back to the city of Rabbi of, uh, Abba, Zil, Nakninullah Agav Ara. We learned in Kedushin, there's a king called King Agav. Ara, King Agav means that when I make a king, when I bequeath to you a piece of my property, when you take into your possession a piece of property, the makna can also give over to the kaina metaltalin, even if the metaltalin are not there, they're anywhere in the world, even though the one who's getting the metaltalin won't make a kingin with the metaltalin, the kingin that you make on the land will work also for the metaltalin. is nickname agav nechasim sheish lemachais, which is karka. Now here is where we're going to go to the rajba. Without the rajba, the way our version of the Gemara is telling us is that even a debt can be given over to someone else through King Anagav. So what Rav is telling Rab Safra, listen here, obviously Rababa has to trust you. But what, the only way we'll be comfortable giving back the debt, not in the hands of Rababa, is that if the money is owed to you, Rab Safra, how will Rab Safra acquire the debt? Go back over there. Let Rab Abba give you a piece of land. Now, by the way, giving a piece of land, it can be mamasha grain. It can be a, a little mashu of land. I'll become a partner? 
you make a Kenyan on the land, but let Rabbi Abba, together with the land, Kenyan Agav, say that the debt that we owe is not to Rabbi Abba, it's to Rabbi Safra. So Rabbi Safra is now the person to whom money is owed. Because, they have to make a real Kenyan. Oh, so he'll go back there, he'll make a real Kenyan piece of land. And Agav the land, I'm giving you the debt. And now the money is owed to Rabbi Abba, to Rabbi Safra. So now Rabbi says, I'll give you the money. And you write a receipt. And now here, even if Rabbi Abba passes away, the money is not owed to Rabbi Abba. Then you go back, and you give back the money to Rabbi Abba. Well, let me ask you, even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't pass away, what would force him to give it back to Rabbi Abba? Wow. All what Rabbi was saying like this, if trust is needed, if a risk is going to be taken, let him have the risk. Yeah, but why to, why to make a king in Agar? Just give him the debt. Because if there would have been a star, that we learned that before. Can you make a king in by giving the star? Maybe there wasn't a star, it was a Milva Malpeh. It was a Milva Malpeh. Now, by the way, the Rajma comes along and says that if you have a debt, a debt is not something that can be nicknamed Agav Karka. So therefore, he changes the version of this and the next story that it's not that there was a debt, but there was a Picard. That's different. In other words, there was a physical thing that belonged to Rabbi Abra that was in the possession of Rabbi Yisabar Chama. That is something that still belongs to the owner. That couldn't be nicknamed Karka. Now, you come over here, and the money now is owed to you, Rabbi Safra, and we'll give you the money, and you're going to write the receipt of Skabalti. And then it's going to work. And like you said, Danny, yes, and then Rabbi Safra will have to go back and Rab Abba has to be the one who trusts Rab Safra that he'll return the money to him. And the same thing happened with Rab Papa. So what is considered a, sh- a shliach? No, 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 that is not a shliach. Now, it's it's, it, the money is owed to Rab Safra. That's the whole king in Agav. And like Rab Papa, that have a masik, again, masik means a debt. He lent money and not a little money. Rab Papa was very wealthy. One of the reasons why, by this human, we mentioned Rab Papa and his ten sons, they're all the ten sviras, is because uh, he was the one that he was so wealthy whenever a person made a siyum, he made a huge uh, mitzvah. So to, uh, so to remember him, siyum, Rapapa. Rapapa lent... No, 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 why, 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 no, let me take it back. Yeah, Very good. Uh, and, and now, I want to add something. My takanta, like... If the issue here is that halachically, it's very important. When the Meshaleach appoints a Shliach, if the Meshaleach passes away, there's no more Shlichas. Very important, halachically. Now, we're proud Chabad Hasidim, but before Chabad Hasidim, that they're Shluchim, just to understand, we just learned a few daf ago, I think I'm paid Dalad, very famous concept, that whenever the Torah speaks about Elohim, which means a Beisdin, we say Elohim by a Beisdin, it means Beisdin Smuchim, and when there's no Beisdin Smuchim, then what power do they have? So we learned here, we learned this also in Gitin, that Shlichusayu, the Kamoi, the Kravdinan, that they are Shluchim of the Beisdin that does have Smicha, they're not living anymore. You have to know what that means. So there, there is a concept of shlichus, or the term shlichus is used even when the Meshulech is not living, but the black and white laws of shlichus, so here, Danny, even if you appointed a shlich like Kabbalah, wouldn't help, because if the Meshulech passes away, then you can't give it back, and that's the only solution. And again, a Papa lent 12,000 zoos to a person in Chayzoi, 
And again, that person wasn't giving back the money because he, not they dishonest. They lived in different cities. So the papa was, had an itch, I need that money back. And there was someone that was going to Chazoi anyways. But the papa knew that that person, this is a lot of money, would not trust the shliach. He would be afraid that something might happen. So what Rav Papa did is, Rav Papa trusted Rav Shmuel Bar Abba. And he gave him the debt, or according to the Rajba, that person was holding on to his money, was simply laying in that person's house, and that for sure can be bequeathed with the king and Agav Karka. And what Karka did he give him? Agav Asifa the Beisei. You don't have to give him an expensive piece of land. He gave him the threshold. The threshold, you know, when you walk into a house, you have a little thing. That's the threshold. Since it's nailed into the ground, it has a din of karka. So when you make, when you be, when you make a king in on the threshold, and Agav that he gave him the debt or the pikadim. So now that debt belonged to Shmuel Barabba. Or that money belonged to Shmuel Barabba. So now that person in Chazoi wasn't afraid to give it back to him because it's considered returned. Now, like you said, the Papa took the risk. But Rav Papa was very happy that that person agreed to do it. So says the Gemara, Kiyasa, when he came back to the Papa city, Rav Papa, from joy, went to greet him. Or, not from joy. Wanted his, his money back, whatever, however you learn it. So he went all the way to Tavach, wherever that is. That's way, you know, he went out to greet him. He went a mile out of his city to greet him. And that is the only way that you can be certain when you are the person who owes the money, that even if an oinus happened before it reached the hands of the person to whom the money is owed to, it's considered returned. Okay, right. So what did we learn in the Mishnah? We learned that the din that you have to return the money by a person who is withholding money that's not his, however it came to him. And the person took an oath that he doesn't owe the money. Then he does tshuva. Moidah. So the Torah says, Keren Chaimish Karben. So the Mishnah tells you that the uh, Keren is the, what needs to be returned to the Nigzal, but the Chaimish doesn't need to be returned to the Nigzal for this person to be able to get his kapara. The money is owed. But he can bring the Karban Asham even though he didn't return the Chaimish in the hands of the victim. Says the Gemara. It's amazing you know, how when you read this, the Mishnah is basically telling you that the Chaimish is not like the Keren. The Gemara is going to right away infer that the Chaimish is very much like the Keren. Let me just speak it out by heart. There are two ways of looking at the Chaimish. Is the Chaimish a monetary obligation that the robber has to the victim? Elamah, the difference is, it's a monetary obligation that he doesn't have to return it to his hand. He can bring the carbon even before he gave it back. But it's a din mominus. Or let's use the words that we used when we finished the shir yesterday, that there's a ben adam l'chaveidoy and ben adam l'makin. Does he owe, it's a bein adam din, which is by the way enforceable in court, if that's the case, or it's part of his kapara, it's a mitzvah ben adam l'makin. For him to get a kapara, ben adam l'makin, he has a mitzvah to return him the money. But it's not a ben adam l'chaveidoy chiyuv, because the keren he gave back, he never took the chaymish. The first nafkamina would be, is it something enforceable in a basin? A ben adam l'chaveidoy, a monetary obligation between peoples is something that is enforceable in a basin. If I have a mitzvah for me to get a kapara, to give someone a chaymish, you cannot take me to a dintaira for that. Nothing to do with you. You happen to be the lucky recipient. But it's a kapara on me, it's a ben adam l'amakim. That's one nafkamina. 
I'll see another nafkabira in the Gemara. What happens if the victim passes away? What happens, I'm sorry, if the robber passes away? So the robber's monetary obligations, if he passed away owning land, is lean to the land, and therefore the heirs pay it back. If the chaymish is considered a monetary obligation as well, even if he passes away, the Yarshim have to give not only the Kerem, but the chaymish. But if we view it as a Ben Adam Lamakim for a Kapara, so who needs the Kapara? The robber. And Belashin Ashi over here, in Kapara Lamesim. In Kapara Lamesim. Which is, by the way, you know, the Rebbe, during the year, always said, Hadene Kaparas Meshkavai. Either in Kapara Lamesim because Misa is their Kapara, or they can't, they won't get a kapara by the chaymish being given. So there's no kapara, so therefore the yarshim don't have to give it back. Let's read it inside. So says the Gemara, Alma, we see from our Mishnah that memoinohu. See, the Mishnah differentiates between the kadam and the chaymish. But the, the way Rashi says, the fact that the only difference the Mishnah gives is whether it has to be returned in the hand of the victim or whether it doesn't have to be returned in the hand of the victim. That implies that's the only difference. But as far as what type of chiyuv is the chaymish, it's just like the keren. And therefore, the, the second difference, the imoyas, if the gazlan, if the robber dies, since he owed the money, if he owned the land, his debts are leaned to the land. This is a monetary debt that's linked to the land, and therefore, the shalmeleyoshin. So that's a statement. From our Mishnah, we see that. And the Gemara continues, not only... Can you infer this? It's already, when, when you start learning this Gemara, you think Mamash the opposite. Ah, the fact the Mishnah says that the Chaymish does not have to be returned to his hand is that it's a whole different type of payment. Here we're saying the opposite. So the Gemara backs it up. And I'll prove it to you further from our Mishnah. Since it says in our Mishnah, that what happens if the Ganath, the Gazlan, or the guy who withhold the wages, or the person who was denying that he was holding on to a Pekadin, if he gave back the Kedin, and when it came to the Chaymish, he took a fool's oath regarding the Chaymish. I already gave you back the Chaymish. So what did we learn in the Mishnah? The Chaymish becomes the Keren. And now you have to now, if you do Tshuva, you got the Chaymish and the Chaymish and the Chaymish. Harim, it's the Chaymish and the Chaymish. So this says the Gemara, that's Zichr, the proof, that Chum Shemamaynuhu. Because if the Chaymish would not be viewed as a monetary obligation, it's just a mitzvah on the Gazlan to pay back, even though he swore he doesn't, have to do the mitzvah. The din of a chaymish is only when you swear regarding a monetary obligation. So that's taka proof. Not only do we have a proof from our Mishnah, double proof. So the Gemara says, V'tanya nami hachi. We learned the b'raisa, which also clearly states the same. We're going to call this b'raisa number one, because we'll see in a moment that b'raisa number two contradicts b'raisa number one. It says in b'raisa number one, if a person robs his friend. And not only that, adding salt on the wound, and he swears that he doesn't, that he didn't rob, or that he gave it back. And then he was maida, and now he owes him the karam chaymish and carbon. So umeisa, now he dies. So says the b'raisa yarshim mishalmim, not only the karen, but also the chaymish. Now the carbon for sure not, but upturim and ashim. And like Rashi says, even if the robber already designated the carbon ashim, the yarshim don't bring it. In kapara lame, in kapara lamesim. And avada, if they didn't separate the animal, the yarshim don't bring the carbon for their father. 
but they have to give back the Keren and the Chaymish, clearly indicating that the Chaymish is a monetary obligation, and therefore they have to give it back. Okay, let's read it straight. The Marshal takes out the parentheses. So yeah, that's a raya, like we said, that the Chaymish is considered a monetary obligation. Atkan Gavaldik says the Gemara I will have a contradiction. And here we, we're going to quote the Taitas Kahanim. And before we take up the Taitas Kahanim as it is written in the Gemara, in Parshas by Yikram, I'm getting a Chumash over here. When the Taita speaks about the din of a person who swears to withhold money and then is Maida, you have this at the end of Parshas by and you have it in Parshas Nasai. Now at the end of Parshas by the Taita words it in a way that Torah's Kahanim points out that it appears that there's a contradiction. What's the contradiction? The Torah is saying in Pedic Hey, Pasik Chav, Gimel, that meaning the person withheld the money, he swore falsely, and now he's being So the robbery needs to be returned, Asher Gozel, that he robbed. So the Torah's Kahanam says that the words Vaheshavasakzela implies that the robbery has to be returned whether he's living or not. It has to be returned. Implying even if the robber died, it has to be returned. Asher Gazel means that he robbed. That implies that the children don't have to return it. Only he who robbed it has to return it. And by the way, here the Pasik gives four scenarios. That's another issue. The Torah repeats all the four cases again. So the robbery. We spoke out yesterday that Rashi says in Chumash, Oishik means someone who frauded, but we're speaking about someone who hired a worker, who owes him wages, and who's withholding the wages. Here also the same. The withhold wages, very generally termed, implies whether the, the one who withheld it is the one who's here having to give it back, or even his children. That wages need to be returned. Asher Oishik means that he defrauded. Like Esapikoden, Asher Hafkad Itoi, or the article that was given to him in trust, that he swore that he doesn't have, or he swore that he gave back, again, that it should be given back, that he withheld. Here's the fourth case. Or the Aveda that he found, there were some on him, and the person swore that he never found it, or he swore that he already returned it. And again, this contradiction, it has to be returned, or he who took it has to return it. So the Torah's Kahanam answers, the way you reconcile it is, the Keren has to be returned by even the children. The Keren has to be returned even if it's not by the one who robbed it. But the Chaimish, that's the whole Torah's Kahanam, only has to be given by the one who stole it. That he stole. That he stole. That he stole, the Keren goes on anyone, and the Chaimish only on the father. So that it mean who? And now we're going to pick up the Torah's Kahanim. The Torah's Kahanim continues. Even after this drush, I can still argue that when do we say that the heir, that the child does not give back the Chaymish? And now let's just speak out by heart that there are four scenarios when you have a father and a son involved of us oath and a admittance. You can have a case where both of them swore falsely. You can have a case that one of them swore falsely. Or you can have a scenario where none of them swore falsely. So says, the Braisa says the Torah's Kahanim, that I will tell you maybe, maybe when do we say that the Chaymish does not have to be returned by the child 
when it was, there was a robbery here, but there was no ad additional sin by swearing falsely. Now, by the way, the Achreinim ask, if no one swore falsely, then there is no chaymish. We'll just leave that question hanging in the air. Uh, however, so that's the most lenient case, that's the least sin involved. Maybe only then is there no chaymish. However, what would happen in the other three scenarios, where either one of them took a false oath, or even worse, both of them took a false oath? No, it's the father swore, and then he admitted, then they went to the son, he died. And the son says, no, I gave it back already. And he swore. Maybe there he will have to pay for the chaymish. That even there, if it originated from a theft that was done by the father, the son never pays a chaymish. So Talmud Laimer, Asher Gazel, Asher Oshak. And really what the Torah's Kahana means, that the Torah repeated, like we mentioned, all the four cases, all the four cases, to hint that in all the four cases, where neither of them made an oath, where the father made an oath not the son, the son made an oath not the father, where they both made an oath. In all of these cases, we're machalic between the Keren and the chaymish. The Keren always has to be returned, and the chaymish never has to be returned by the son. Um, so Bekitzer, Mama Shastira. But Isa number two says the son doesn't, reply, doesn't have to return the chaymish. But Isa number one, and the inference from the Mishnah is, is that the chaymish is a monetary obligation. Has to be returned by whoever. If there's an heir, the heir has to return it. So answers Rab Nachman Laikasha. Khan, our Mishnah, and in the first Braisa, we're speaking about a case where Hoida, meaning the robber himself, after the oath was Maida. So once the robber swore and then is Maida that it was false, now we paskin, you gotta pay a chaymish. And as we spoke out, it's not viewed as a mitzvah on the robber. It's a monetary obligation. Once there's a monetary obligation, it gets linked to the land, and now the son has to give it back. When, in Braisa number two, do we say that the son does not have to give it back? That's in a case that there was no haida'a. Means, could be the father swore, but the father never admitted. So there was never a chaloiz din chaymish on the dad. So now that the son is the one that's being maida, okay, give back the keren. But since there was no chaymish on the father, you don't put the chaymish directly on the children. And the Gemara is going to have to clarify further the answer of Rav Nachman. Says the Gemara, One second. If the father was not Maida, then how was there even a canon? Like we mentioned before by Dachreinim, if no one swore, there's no Chaymish, there's no canon. Canon Amelim Mishalem. Why should he have to pay the canon? And Vechitim Hachin Amelim Mishalem. And maybe that's the meaning of the Braisa. No, no, no. That's not the meaning of the Braisa. For Hamidah Komahadar Achaymish, the whole Braisa is telling you that this seeming contradiction between the general statement and the specification of that he stole is to differentiate that Keren yes and Chaymish not. That's the whole second Braisa. That's the whole Tadus Kahanim. The whole thing is to tell you that the son does have to give back the Keren. And if you're telling me the whole Braisa, speaking about a case where the father wasn't moida that he stole, there is no Keren. And furthermore, in that very Braisa, in that very Tadus Kahanim, it says, I will still argue to say, maybe when does he have to give back the Keren? Now we're going into the opposite. Because the son never gives the Chaymish, but he always has to give the Keren. So here the Brais is asking the same question. Maybe the son only gives back the Keren when there is the greatest case of sin, which is that they both swore falsely. Only Bizman Shanishbahu and Aviv. However, in all the other three cases, which is lesser, either only one of them swore falsely, or none of them swore falsely, but, but, 
Meaning that the Keren has to be returned. So here also, the Braisa says, from the repetition of the four cases, from that, Yesh Talmud. And here we just make an interruption. What the word Yesh Talmud means, that that is the source in the Chumash, that no matter what happened, the son has to give back the Keren. Or maybe the word Yesh Talmud means Yishtalmu. Yishtalmu means you have to give back the Keren. What's the difference if it's Yesh Talmud or Yesh Talmud? Rashi says, when someone was hearing this Torah's Kahanim, he wanted to know whether Yesh Talmud means that giving back the Keren is sourced in the Chumash, Gzeres HaKasuf, or it's a Svarim, Yesh Talmud. And there are many nafkaminas, not for now, between if something comes from a Pasuk or if something is only a Svara. So when this b'raith was being said, it's like parentheses. The Yosef Rav Huna and Vekarm Allah So Rav Huna was repeating, no, Tereh Shabbat was learned by heart. He was, and Yesh Talmud. So Amalei Rabba B'Rei, so Rabba, when he heard it from his dad, says, one second. Yesh Talmud Ka'amar Mar? Did you say the words Yesh Talmud? Or Yesh Talmud Ka'amar Mar? So Amalei, no, no, Yesh Talmud Ka'amino. Meaning that, since the Torah repeats these four cases again and again, that's again the limud that no matter, even in the lowest level of sin, which is no one swore, imagine, even there the son has to give back to Kevin. So one second. So what are you Rav Nachman saying? That the second verse is speaking about a scenario that what? That there was no... Oath, when the second b'raisa says that this din is in all the cases, when there was no oath, when there was an oath, speaking about the father. So Amri, so they explained Rav Nachman, my loy hoida, loy hoida of it. Yeah, the father was not moida. That's where the son of a Pesach Chaimish. But hoida benoi. But the son was moida. How do we know that you got to pay even the keren? Because the son is moida. Gavaldik. So it makes sense. Again, when the father was Nishbava Hoida, so there's an obligation on the father to pay the Chaimish. Chaimish is Mamaina, it's leaned on the land, the son has to pay it. The whole Torah's Kahanam was speaking about a scenario whether the father did swear or did not swear. The point is, the father was not Moida. When did we find out that there's a Gzela? After he died. The Chaimish is not on the sons. Still, the Gemara is not happy. Okay, the father was not Moida, but there was a robbery here. And you just said from the Torah's Kahanim that in all the cases, the son has to pay back the Keren. What will be a case? Also when the son swore. If the father robbed something, and you're telling me that that has to be returned when we know the truth, and the son swore that it was returned already, let's say. So why doesn't the son have to pay a Chaimish for his Shvua? That's a million dollar question. Don't forget, he sinned by the fact that he swore falsely. And he owes the money because the Keren doesn't belong to the father. It's leaned on the land. So why isn't there a Chaimish for that? So Omni, so to answer this question, they had a, for the clarify, it must be If the Gezele would be Kayemes, if the item that the father stole is here in existence, and the son swears falsely, let's say I already gave it back, or it was never stolen, or he swears something which would have allowed him to keep it. And now he's doing tshuva, of course the son has to pay a keren v'chaymish. Not his father's chaymish, his chaymish. But when the gazelle is not kayemes, since the father was not maida, even if the son swore falsely, he didn't swear on something that's kayemes. Then even the keren should not have to be paid. Why do you have to pay the keren? So the Gemara says, The ikachrayis means that, like we mentioned, the father owed the money. The father had land. When the father has a debt, it's automatically leaned to the land. That's why the children have to pay back their Kevin. 
And now we're going to read the Gemara like the version of Toysvis. So Rashi takes up the next lines. We'll learn it straight like Toysvis. Still asks the Gemara, even if the father owned land, it's, since there was a debt, that's Mavo Alpehi, it's not Kayemes. And Umivo Alpeh, and as Toysavis explains, even though we're going to learn later in Mishnah, that if the father had a debt, let the children pay it back. But that's only The Toyras Kahanim is giving us Psukin If the whole case of the second Brice of the Toyras Kahanim is speaking where She'ein Gizela Kayemes, She'ein Gizela Kayemes, there is no Chiv Midairaisa. So Amri, they answered, Afkufei, Bishamad Bidim. So now we have the whole case, that the father was taken to a dentoida. The father swore that he doesn't owe money. The father was not moida. But they paskined, had proof, you got to pay. So once they paskined that the father has to pay, that debt is lean to the land. That's why the children have to give back the canon. So now we're going back to the question. If... So then the chiyuv of the chaimish should also be leaned to the land. Not to the person? No, he owes it to the person, but it's a lien. So, I guess the father was not moida. When the father was not moida, there was never a chiyuv on the father. But he, he owes money. So the question always comes back. If the son swore falsely, why don't we view it as a person who's swearing to withhold money, who's now being made, and now the son should be chayev chaymish. So the Gemara says that since the debt is only a land debt, because it originated by the father owing money linked to the land, and there's a rule that Einish by So the oath that the son took, that he already gave back the money or whatever, he doesn't owe the money, that oath is not a real oath. Now there's an issue of swearing falsely. But the whole portion by Yikra Nasi that if you swear Benegea Mominus and then you're Moide, Yechayv Kenan Lechaimish, is only when the oath is a halachic oath. So if the whole debt is regarding land since Enish, why not That's why the Somo Mechayv Lechaimish. That's one answer. And Rava goes back and Rava says like this. Well, what's the whole question? The whole question here is that if the article exists, let the son be Chayv Lechaimish. So Rava says the article exists. Not that there is no article and it's a, a debt to the land. The son did not know where the article is. Rav says, That the father had something that belonged to someone else. And it was something that was ben, kayemis. The father put it in the pouch that you put on a donkey. On this diasko, diaskio. And the, this diaskio now was not in the possession of the father, nor of the son. The son didn't know about it. So when he swore that I don't have the thing, or it was returned already, he didn't have it then in his possession. Now, the keren you have to give back. But the punishment of a keren v'chaimish is only when you swear falsely in a bad way, when you're trying to be a gazlan. The son was innocent. Keren mishalem mishalem. The son doesn't have to pay a chaimish if he swore that this article was returned even though it was not. Because when he swore, it wasn't even in the son's possession. Someone else was holding on to it for the son. But the son didn't know about it. The Chiyishtaba, when he swore that I don't have it, the son didn't know that the father gave this pouch to a third party. 
So this is the only scenario where the Torah's Kahanam says the son doesn't pay back the Chaymish, but coming, concluding our sugya, that the Chiyuv of a Chaymish is not a Kapara, it's not a Ben Adam Lamakim, the Chiyuv of the Chaymish is a Ben Adam Lachaveri, it's a Chiyuv Mamenis. If the father owed the Chaymish Bechayev and then the father passes away, then uh, the children have to pay. Or to word it differently, the Nigzal, the victim, can take the Gazlan to a Dintaira demanding the Chaymish. You owe me money. It's a Dintaira case. The only thing the Mishnah says is that the obligation to run after him in Madai is only for the Kedem. For the Chaymish, you don't have to go, you don't have to invest money to return it, but you owe him the money to be continued.